Hello and welcome to this edition of Mountain Talk Monday. I'm your host, Kelly Haywood, and today we have in the studio Ben Fink, who is the director of the Letcher County Culture Hub Project here at Apple Shop. Hi. And we have Harry Collins, chairman of CANE, the Community Agriculture and Nutritional Enterprises. And he's also a member of the Letcher County Culture Hub. Good afternoon. And we have Betsy Whaley, Vice President for Strategic Initiatives for MACID, or Mountain Association for Community Economic Development. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Great. Today we're talking about economic diversification. This is something that I wanted to pull together because as we are looking to see what is going to happen with the coal industry, is it going to be replenished? Is it going to continue to drop? And if so, what is left for us here? And as we look at that, I'm getting a lot of questions about what does downtown revitalization mean? What does economic diversity mean? How does that apply to me right now? Mm -hmm. I'm jobless. I need money. How does that apply to me right now? Why should I focus my time and attention there? Let's just start with that. Why do we need a diverse economy? What does that mean and what does that look like? I think that for many, many years that we have put the eggs of our economic future into the baskets of coal mining. And we have found over the last few years that that has taken a serious downturn. And there are people, there are groups that are taking a look at how we can take a new way or a new economy into our heels and replace some of those dollars that normally flowed quite freely and replace those with dollars from other types of industry or other types of production. Any other thoughts? It's really important that we have diversity in our economy because when there is one major employer, major industry, it really leaves the whole community vulnerable to downturns in that industry. To borrow an example from agriculture, we know that when there are monocultures in agriculture, you know, just one thing that's being grown, that particular field or crop is really vulnerable to virus. And so, like right now, we're seeing in the banana industry that there is a particular virus that's killing a lot of the plants, the banana trees, that produce the bananas that we in America like to eat. And because there is no diversity, it really is at risk for just ruining that whole industry. Now, if they had many different types of bananas planted, then maybe some of those would be resistant to that. And I think in the economy, it's the same idea. When we have lots of different kinds of economic activity, then the economy is more resilient to a downturn in one particular type of economic activity. So if we have, you know, retail and arts and music and industry and professional services, it's a much more robust and resilient economy, and it's more sustainable over time. I just want to add one big thing to that, which is, at Apple Shop for the last few years, we've worked with Flooney Hutchinson, who is an economist originally from Jamaica and now works with the Economic Empowerment and Global Learning Project at Lafayette College. Flooney and his colleagues have worked all around the world in different places that are struggling with a lot of the same issues that we've got here in East Kentucky. And one of the things that he talked about a lot when he was rebuilding the economy of Jamaica, and he's now again down there in Kingston, one thing he talks about a lot is you need for an economy to be sustainable. The people that are living in a place need to have the capacity for agency, voice, and ownership over that economy. So when you have one economic sector that is dominating everything else, among the other problems, what you have is the people that are living in that place have no agency, voice, and ownership because it's all being dictated by people elsewhere. And so when profits go down and those people are owning it, they say, we're just going to pull out. And the people that are living in the place have got nothing they can say or do about it because they were not in control. 
and a more diversified economy with more local agency voice and ownership is going to be sustainable because the decisions are being made here by the people that are living here. And when we talk about a diversified economy, what exactly do we mean? We mean maybe some smaller industry. I had someone suggest to me at one point her idea was that we, one, grow hemp, and then two, manufacture building products out of industrial hemp. And she named me two warehouses in Hazard that could house the operation that are empty right now. So I thought that was an interesting thing. I know a lot of places are looking at revitalizing their downtown areas Mm -hmm. with retail spaces, specialty shops. We've had tourism thrown out there as a resource or a possible solution. But one of the things I know, I am a fourth, at least a fourth generation coal miner's daughter. So my dad mined coal, my grandpa mined coal, my great grandpa mined coal. My great-great-grandpa, Monco. <laughs> and it's interesting to talk to them because their identity is very much wrapped up in the fact that they are a coal miner. My dad, right now, he's 63 years old, and he wants to retire a coal miner. He's driving an hour and a half to work. That's one way every day. So he says, I'm too old to do anything else. The other thing I hear is that we don't have the infrastructure to support any kind of other industry or even tourism, that there are no major highways coming into and out of, especially this area of eastern Kentucky. And then I hear a lot of, I don't want to be a business owner. So what does that mean for me? I just want to go to work every day. And I did that when I was mining coal. So why shouldn't I put my concern and my energy towards bringing that industry back. So how would you respond to some or all of those questions? Is there a simple answer? Yeah, I think there's no simple answer. And I think anybody who thinks there is kind of wishful thinking, it would be great to think that there was a simple answer. I think all of those concerns that you raised are very legitimate concerns. Change is hard, especially when it's change that you don't choose. And when you, your family has been so involved in an industry and the region has been involved in an industry that has helped to shape the identity of its people, then it's really a grieving process, I think, to see that begin to go away. And I think it's going to be a number of different uh, solutions that bring the answers to these problems. And some of it's going to be more people going into business and starting their own businesses. You know, taking an idea that they have, whether it's for a coffee shop or a product that they want to develop or a service that they want to provide or agriculture and learning what it means and what it takes to be a small business owner. I think for cities and towns, it means kind of looking at strategic planning around downtown revitalization and really trying to figure out what are the resources that we have here like great outdoor resources like hiking and biking and canoeing and kayaking or restaurants or culture. I think it's going to be really require creative solutions and creative problem solving, but it can't be just individuals. It has to be communities working together. I think you said, Kelly, not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. And that's legitimate. That's a specific skill set. That's a specific kind of person that feels good doing that. And I think the point of a diversified economy is not everybody wants to be any one thing. And do you have an economy that's broad enough based so that the whole range of people living in the community have a way to positively create wealth in that community and be able to bring enough home? In a lot of ways, that's the definition of a diversified economy and a sustainable economy. And you can't put all the eggs in the coal basket and you can't put all the eggs in the local restaurant basket or the agriculture basket or any other basket. I think the point about people's identities, that's a tough one. Really, all of us, we're comfortable with what we know. We're comfortable with what we've been doing. And so if all of our lives, 
that is what we're comfortable with, then of course, that's a totally natural thing to feel. I think one thing we're looking to do with the Culture Hub is to provide a support network and a safety net for people that are ready to try something new. Try, can you found a theater company? Try, can you found a catering company? Can you found a tech media company? Or not just found, because again, that's entrepreneurship, work for them. You know, some of these companies mm -hmm. are small enough that really you just have the founder and one other person, but they're gonna be growing, and already that is true. My partner just moved here and found a job right away as a chef. And she had a set of skills, but she never wants to run a restaurant. She says, that's not what I want to do. I just want to work every day. Same thing what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And we can get there. I think there's a lot of talk about entrepreneurship, but every business needs workers. The thing about downtown revitalization is that accomplishes two things. First, it gives people a place to work and puts money into the economy that way. But the other thing that it does, which a lot more talk in the last 10 years about economic development has been focusing on, is it provides people a place where they want to live. The old model of economic development is people follow the jobs. The new model that a lot more people are working on is the jobs follow the people. So if we make in Whitesburg, in Letcher County, in various places in East Kentucky, if we make places where people want to live, they'll live there and then the jobs will follow them because they'll create needs, they'll create demand, and a good place w with a functioning economy will follow. And one of the things that you talked about, one of the reasons that we can't diversify and we can't change from what we're doing right now is you talked about there's no major road here but there could be a major road here not made of asphalt and guardrail but of information superhighway of broadband that could open up business opportunities but not only business opportunities for the entrepreneur but the job opportunities for those people that want to go to work that can go to a call center or go to a coding center that can sit down and produce a product and mine out information just like their fathers and their forefathers went underground to mine out the things they needed they can go into those call centers or those coding centers and pull out those products just like they did and it's all a matter of retooling and i like to think being a, a person from these mountains and a person from this county that we've always been a people of retooling when the boat landed in this new country of America, and we got off the boat, we immediately started retooling. And we existed on the coast for a little while, and then the majority of the people in Letcher County came to Wilkes County, North Carolina, and we hung out there for a while, and we retooled in Wilkes County, North Carolina, and then we said, we need to go somewhere else and retool. So we came and we came up through the Cumberland Gap and we came through Scuttlehole Gap and we founded the hills and the hollows of what is now Letcher County. And when we got here, we retooled and we started putting things that these mountains had never seen. We started putting those in place. If you go back to the 1800, 1810, 1820 agricultural censuses from just Route 7, You'll find amazing things that existed in Letcher County that were brought from cultures that they had experienced along the way. We had rice paddies down Highway 7 on the Kentucky River. We grew rice. We grew all kinds of diversified crops there. We had our oxen at work. We had all those things going on. And then we got to a point that coal started and we retooled again and, and we became coal miners. But there were people in the coal mining industry that didn't make it. If I can step back two generations to my grandfather, he was a coal owner. He owned two or three small pony mines here in Letcher County and worked them and had workers and was developing and all that and liked to have starved to death as a coal miner. It was before the coal boom, and he liked to have starved to death. And he came to the organization that I'm now the board chair of at the extension office and told him, I've got to find a better way for my children, my, my 11 children I have. And they introduced him to chickens and egg production 
and he took all the assets he had in coal business and sank them into a, a chicken farm. And 10,000 chickens later, and about 25 years later, the first five Collins youngins that was raised by my grandfather, my grandmother, they saw it really hard. They didn't have a whole lot. They scraped by for everything that they had. And then the last set of six Collins youngins that came up underneath the egg production model, they had everything they wanted. So I think that that spirit of retooling is still alive and well. We've just got to channel it and as a community, find that place, find that niche, find that area that we're good at and that we can take that to the next level and make that wealth that we're looking for and therefore diversifying the economy in Letcher County. Thank you for that illustration. I think looking back, it was the early, late 1800s, early 1900s when we started becoming coal miners and it is going to take a while to undo that vision in order to open us up to new possibilities. But as you said, we've always been a make-do people, and if we want to stay here, we can find a way to stay here. I do believe that. Another point, backing off what Ben said, about making a downtown where someone wants to live and then talking about the broadband superhighway, we would bring people here because they want to live here and then the jobs would be very tech-based. Even coal mining now is going very automated. I do the coal report every week and I was just reading about how there is still gonna be a lot of mine jobs to be lost because of automation. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna take a high skill set to run the machines that are actually gonna be doing the work of mining coal. Even at that, technology forces us to change. So we need to be looking at what is next for us. One of the things that I hear quite a bit is what money are we working with? We have some of the highest rates of poverty in the country. Not all of us have a good nest egg in which to start a business. And right now we don't have a lot of tourists that come in. I think there's pockets of them here and there. But usually it's very specialized. So right now we've got to work with what's here. What is here and will that be enough or will we continue to see a population dwindle as we're working on this? I wonder if you could just kind of restate your question, Kelly, when you say what money is here, what, what exactly are you, are you asking? In order to create an atmosphere that supports entrepreneurism or entrepreneurial efforts, we need to have some kind of capital. So for instance, I'll say, well, I really like coffee. I wanna open a coffee shop and I'll get the response, who can afford a $3 cup of coffee when you can get it for a dollar at McDonald's? And so we talk about these artisan things and these special products, but a lot of people resist that because they say we don't have the money right now to pay for them and no tourists are coming here. Right. I kind of hear in your question two questions. One, how does the population have enough income to support new businesses? And then two, the second question is, where does the capital come from to get those new businesses started? Am I understanding that right? Yes, that's exactly okay. right. Yeah, I think it's sort of a chicken and the egg. As new businesses grow, they provide employment, which gives people more income to spend. But the first year, two, three of starting a business are pretty challenging for most people. And I think we're really fortunate in um, Eastern Kentucky to have quite a few resources in the community for people who want to start new businesses. The Small Business Development Center is able to you know, give people technical assistance around helping with a business plan. KCARD is at Kentucky Center for Agriculture and Rural Development is able to help with business planning around agricultural and nutritional enterprises. There's a small business and technical assistance network that really has a number of resources available to folks who are looking to start small businesses. And, you know, there's a lot of external money coming into the region right now to help with, you know, there's the Appalachian Regional Commission received a pretty 
substantial increase in their budget this last year, and uh, much of that money is coming into eastern Kentucky. A number of private foundations are interested in supporting the growth of entrepreneurism and uh, economic growth in the region. MACID is a uh, community development financial institution, which basically means we're a nonprofit that helps support small businesses through lending, technical assistance, and helping to start new programs, try things out to see if there is a way for it to work here. Because, right, Kelly, sometimes there's a question mark. Could this business succeed? We're doing a lot of work around in the energy sector to try to help folks who have really identified themselves as coal miners to think about are there some other opportunities in the energy sector that would be good for them. And so we have a an energy intern program that we receive funding for from the Appalachian Regional Commission that's going to give internships, six-month paid internships to displaced coal workers to help them learn skills in the energy sector, like doing audits for homes and businesses to assess their energy usage and to make recommendations about how to lower that usage through retrofits and um, upgrades and equipment. And what we hope is that some of those folks will actually become energy entrepreneurs and will start their own business, whether it's auditing or installing more energy-efficient lights, or HVAC. And MACID has some capital that we're working with that we can use to support riskier businesses that may have a larger community impact. And it's a tough road to hope. There's no question that it's a challenging business environment, and it's challenging for people who want to support new businesses, because you're right, not a lot of people have a lot of income. But, you know, I think with what Kane is doing, and I'm sure Harry can talk more about this, through work with the farmer's market and different programs there, we feel like there's more money in the economy, in the agricultural section, than there has been for a while. Harry, can you speak to that, maybe? You're right, Betsy. We have found that there are dollars out there. We were able to, with the assistance of, of Grow Appalachia, and Mountain Comprehensive Health and some of their insurance companies' support, we were able to put around $88,000 into the pockets of local farmers this past summer. And what we're looking at with Kane, the Community Agricultural and Nutritional Enterprise, our community commercial kitchen, is that uh, we could provide not only that level, but provide a larger market share to local farmers on a consistent year-to-year basis and therefore increase the agricultural footprint within Letcher County. We're looking at things such as meal production, possibly cafeteria, possibly catering, be producing meals for daycares. We would like to talk with fiscal court about senior citizens' meals. Then going past that and allowing local growers to come into our facility and preserve their products in the form of sauces or canned tomatoes or canned beans or then out from that having a a baking space for local bakers to produce their niche items for sale then going past that taking a look at developing common brand to take some of the products here that are truly niche products that we can use the broadband, the internet backbone to market those beyond these mountains and to sell them in a broad format. We're in the beginning stages at the extension office building a uh, sugar house that will be made for the production of three items first in the summer would be honey and honey production and honey bottling the second of those would be a fall sorghum production and the production of molasses at that building and then in the winter months maple syrup production which are very good value-added products that can be not only marketed locally but can be marketed in a national push my dream is and i guess i'm digressing just a little i've always said what if we took mountain sorghum 
put it in a plastic sachet, a ketchup pack type delivery, and marketed it to Cracker Barrels or marketed it to high-end restaurants in New York or, or Philadelphia or Boston and were able to take that product that was produced on the land of Letcher County and have it marketable across the United States or across the world. That's what I was always amazed with, with Apple Shop when I went to college, went off to the university. When I would tell people I was from Whitesburg, they say, oh, that's where Apple Shop is. I said, you're right, it is there. They would talk about how the true audience for Apple Shop is across the pond in Europe and other places. And that's the same thing that could happen with agricultural products in Letcher County. We could have major fans, not only on this continent, but on other continents as well. And I know that that's looking out of ways, but if we're going to make this the diversification of economy happen, you're going to have to have some people that are looking way, way, way outside the box and getting away from this is the way that we've always have done this and looking at maybe we don't need to do that anymore and maybe we need to do it a brand new way. I think that's what's sort of coalescing right now uh, in the hills is that we're going to find a way to do things a totally different way. And that what you just said, finding a way to do things totally different is scary, right? right. That's to Kelly's point before. Mm -hmm. That is a scary thing, especially when you feel like you're on your own and you don't have a lot of resources, you don't have a lot of capital. And right. so this is what the culture hub is looking to do and looking to support so mm -hmm. apple shop has got different audiences in different mm -hmm. places like you're saying you know i haven't worked here that long but kelly you've been here a while what you hear from people here is all right it's great that apple shop films are viewed a lot in europe but what are you doing for the people here right. what are you doing for people who've lost their jobs and are not sure where they're going to get the resources from to stay here and to have a good life here for them and their families. If what we've been able to do at Apple Shop through WMMT, through the films, through Roadside Theater, is to make spaces where people can have a voice and build that voice agency and ownership of their communities around the world, how can we do it here? And right. that's what the Culture Hub is looking to do. So you are Hemphill Community Center, struggling to pay your power bills every month, trying to keep this program of bluegrass music alive that's drawing people from several states and is really mm -hmm. successful. But it's all you can do just to keep the lights on and to keep that running. But sit around at a table with four other community centers, three volunteer fire departments, two artist artisan organizations, Kane Farmers Market, several other businesses, business associations, suddenly there are resources there that that community center can get help from in a whole lot of ways. Number one, direct grant funding, which Apple right. Shop has been able to, to line up. Number two, support for building a market so that now all of these folks are advertising for each other's stuff. Number three, direct market so that Hemphill says, we want to start a catering company out of this. We got three other people around the table at the Culture Hub that says, I'll hire you for this event. I'll hire you for that event. I'll hire you for the other event. Suddenly, money that would have bled out of the county as these organizations hired catering companies from outside the county or bought food that was produced outside the county, now that money is staying in. You're reducing what's called the economic bleed. And then at the same time, we support organizations like Kane, like Mountain Tech Media, like others that are doing business outside the county, and so you're building a base. So what we're doing is both reducing the bleed and building the base, and that's the way to create a sustainable economy. I feel that one area that with Culture Hub that we're beginning to work with is that we're reaching back to the generation behind us, reaching into our school systems and bolstering that spirit of entrepreneurship and having them with an idea of what a business plan is, 
of what a product is, what it takes to bring the product to fruition, and after you've got that product, marketing it to a world abroad. The school that I came from, that I taught many, many years at, I see that spirit alive in that school. They have their own t-shirt business. They're growing vegetables and selling it at the farmer's market, Arley Boggs Elementary on Eola. I think that spirit is becoming alive in those students. And if we can bring that into the students that are coming up behind us, then we have a group that won't have the fears that I have as in this venture of Cain just seems so Goliath at times that sometimes I shudder to think that we're actually trying to get this off the ground. And going back to the Capitol, we started meeting and really dreaming and planning for Cain probably about a year and a half ago. And in the last year, have been real serious about going out and getting that starting capital. And I'll just tell you, I have a pretty sore head right now from hitting the wall. But in the last little bit, I felt a break in that. And we've been able to find organizations that have bought into our vision. And we were able to let them see what we're really trying to do there. And now we are getting partners that are buying into our vision. And I think that that's what our farmers are going through with the, with the agricultural piece is that they're seeing right now, I, I can take you to two or three farms right now, that their paradigm has shifted into the fact that they say, hey, I've got a product and there's people out there that wants what I'm growing. And it's a whole lot easier to go to the garden in the morning, and it's a whole lot easier to grab a hold of the hoe, and it's a whole lot easier to get those weeds out when you know at the end of that there's a market for what you're doing, that your sweat and your blood and your tears are worth it. And I think that's what we're trying to do here. I think it's also important to acknowledge the role that outside partners outside Mm -hmm. the county have played in this, specifically talking about Mesid, so that... To go back to the example of Hemphill Community Center, it's not only that support with grant money from the Culture Hub and mm-hmm. and building a market for the products. It's also they had been talking for a long time about, hey, it's really hard to pay our power bill. They say that at the table and about five other organizations all say, yeah, we're all having trouble paying our power bill. We are not, in fact, able to imagine and build a better economic future because we are strapped by these power bills. And so we were able to collectively come together and say, all right, let's do some research on this and how we could tackle this problem as a group in a way that you couldn't tackle just as an individual organization. Mm -hmm. So we started talking with Betsy and her colleagues at MACID and they've got this whole program for what they call energy audits. Betsy was talking about it before and Normally, this is something that will cost a business $75, I believe, to do, which is not a small amount of money if you're Mm -hmm. paycheck to paycheck, week to week, if you're a real small business. But we were able to go to them and say, we can give you 12 buildings in Letcher County Mm -hmm. to do these energy audits for. Mm -hmm. Can we work out a deal? And they Mm -hmm. said, yeah, we will do these for free. And so we had 12 organizations, community centers, art galleries, the Mm Cane Community Kitchen Space, Mm -hmm. whole bunch of different organizations for free got an assessment. Experts, technicians from Mason came out and said, if you make these changes to your building, your energy costs month to month are going to go down and we can finance you making those changes so that right from the start, month to month, even with paying for part of the cost of the repairs, you're paying less than you would have for energy without that. And so there is a net increase in cash flow immediately. And that's something that we were able to do by working together locally and by building relationship with MACID that had these resources in this program. We really see this opportunity to do energy audits as a way of really trying to open up that market for entrepreneurs. So if the culture hub, if there's work there for folks who are HVAC or electricians to do, if there's, you know, another community that has community centers, we really are looking to figure out a way to provide more work for the folks 
in the communities who have those skills to do that work. And if there aren't folks in the communities who have those skills, we want them in our energy intern program to help get them trained to be able to do that work because then they're going to maybe be able to go back and start a business, hire some folks. So they're adding value back to the community through employing other people, through making businesses and nonprofits more sustainable with their energy costs. We really see that as a win-win. The other project we're working on with Mesa now, which I think is, it goes to your earlier point, Kelly, about tourism. So we had a few months ago here a tourism summit in Letcher County that was funded by the County Tourism Commission. And we had a consultant come in from Hendersonville, North Carolina, done this all over the place. And one of the things that she said was, there are tons of resources here. Apple Shop has hosted people from New York and Los Angeles and New Orleans, taking them to Campbell's Branch for dinner and dancing and bluegrass on Friday night. And they say, we don't have anything like this where we're from. There are tons of resources here and stuff that people would want to go to. They come to the Cowan Creek Mountain Music School from China every year. And what's holding us back isn't what we've got, but it's our capacity to let people know about what Mm -hmm. we've got. And part of that is the broadband that Harry was talking about. But part of that is on the part of the individual organizations. They got very little web presence right now. Maybe a Facebook page. You Google what's going on in Letcher County and you're not finding it. And so one thing that Mason has been able to be helpful with is they have got technical assistance money for social enterprises, so nonprofits with revenue streams or for-profit organizations with a community-based mission. And they are going to be working with a whole bunch of organizations in the Culture Hub to build their web and social media presence, both in terms of the tools and the technology needed to make a website and to get a Facebook and a Twitter page started, and also the skills to update that site, to know how to market yourself. Like These aren't things that everybody knows. And so that's another way that this partnership, both locally and regionally with MACID, is building the infrastructure that can allow some of the assets we've got to be made into actual money. A federal court in Ohio delivered a verdict January 5th, awarding more than $10 million in punitive damages to a man who claimed his cancer was caused by chemical contamination. Glennis Board reports that for years, the man's drinking water was tainted with the toxic chemicals used to make Teflon. Altogether, the plaintiff, Kenneth Figurant, was awarded $12.5 million in punitive and compensatory damages. The Ohio man says he got testicular cancer because he was exposed to the chemical known as C8 through public water supplies in Belpre and Little Hawking. Both towns are near the chemical company DuPont's Washington Works facility in West Virginia. Vignorance is the latest in a handful of cases that have already gone to trial against DuPont. Other verdicts also found the chemical company guilty of negligence and acting maliciously by knowingly contaminating water supplies. DuPont's lawyers maintain that jurors have been misled about the risks of C8 exposure. About 3,500 similar lawsuits against the company are still pending. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Glynis Board in Wheeling, West Virginia. The Ohio Valley Resource is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT. You're listening to Mountain Talk Monday. I'm Kelly Haywood in the studio with Harry Collins of Kane, Betsy Whaley of Mason, and Ben Fink with the Letcher County Culture Hub. Thanks for joining us. I want to take just a minute to play average community member <laughs> because that's basically what I am. I'm an employee of WMMT. I depend on them for an income. And I've talked to a lot of people. I even have family members who have had to move away from Letcher County in order to have work. And then I know other people who are considering that right now. I've talked to them about different things like, why don't you downsize your home? 
Or why don't you trade your new car in for a used one? Or why don't you cut down the cell phone plan? Things like that that would save money while we're building up. And a lot of times I'll also say, especially if there's the word grant related to what we're doing, what happens when the grant money runs out? And I really like the way you've explained what happens here. It's not like that grant money disappears. It builds. And so when the ARC is out of money to funnel in from... The Power Initiative Grant. Yeah. When that is gone, we're not then just falling apart everything that we've built. So I think that is a really good thing to keep in mind. We have to Mm self-evaluate, I think. What do we want? Some of us will need to leave, I think, to have what we want. Others of us may have a stronger pull to stay here, but eventually I think we'll get back there. I think about my family, for instance. My husband is an artist, and for a long time we were living off of his paintings, which meant about $15,000 a year. So we were living in a really tiny house, and eventually we decided we did not want to do that anymore. So with just a credit card, he went to downtown, found a space that would accommodate a tattoo shop, realized that it was just $300 a month, and with a credit card with $15,000 on it, Mm -hmm. started his shop, which is now about six years in, six or seven, and he's employing four people. It's amazing. Um, When we have the mindset of hard work and sacrifice, I think it's important to keep in mind that eventually we can get there as a community working together. I think that's a really great example, Kelly. And I just want to say, you know, I think you're right. I think some people will leave. I think that's true no matter where you are. There are always a certain percentage of people, particularly young people, that want to leave. You know, they're they're ready to get out of whatever their town is. And then there's a percentage that are going to stay no matter what. And then there's that, that final third, maybe, that would like to stay if only there was an opportunity or a job for them or a way for them to stay. And so, you know, what we really want is over time to build up those opportunities so that those young people that really want to stay are able to do that and find meaningful work or create meaningful work through creating their own business like your husband did. Sounds like that was not his vision, but He innovated and said, I'm an artist, I've got this skill, what can I do to use that skill to make a little more money? And it sounds like it's worked out really well for your family. That's that's a great story. I honestly can say that there was a lot of sacrifice. We did not live like a lot of modern folks live for a number of years. But in order to create meaningful work for ourselves, we took that sacrifice. So I think it's always weighing the pros and cons of everything. One thing I notice in town that might scare people out of being entrepreneurial is that businesses seem to come and go pretty fast. There's some that have staying power. And I think a lot of people wonder how they're able to stay. But we see businesses opening and closing quite a bit. And I think that worries people about whether or not there is an economy enough to support their business here. So I think a lot of what we've said explains what might happen. And I think there are always risks when you start a business. But the good news is that there are many tools available that can help you on the front end evaluate whether or not the idea you have really could become a business. I mean, There's lots of tools available on the internet for free with business planning and learning how to do feasibility studies to figure out, will this economy support my business? What we often see is people jump into a business without really doing all that homework. And I think when that happens, it's very, very risky. So I can understand people's hesitation. There certainly is always a risk, but it can be a very calculated risk if you're willing to do the work before you jump into it. We hear 
Letcher County Culture Hub, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we hear some of these grants coming through are for arts and culture, particularly the stuff that's going on in Jenkins with the Our Town Project, which is funded by the National Endowment for Arts. I mean, I was talking about a starving artist just a few seconds ago. (laughs) So what role does arts and culture have in building an economy? I think arts and culture has a few different roles in it. The first is, so the example of John Haywood is literally you've got people who've got skills, who have tremendous skills, who have world-class skills, but don't necessarily think that those skills could be turned into a business. It could be turned into a functioning economy, but they clearly can. The market for arts and culture worldwide is huge. Think about everything from movie sales to buying mp3s and spotify subscriptions and all that that's one thing and apple shop has always been involved in that through employing filmmakers and training young people to be filmmakers and a whole lot of different art forms besides there's also a little subtler way that the arts and culture build an economy and this is the methodology that apple shop and especially roadside theater has developed over decades they call community cultural development which is essentially in order to recognize the assets that you have you need to be in a certain mindset if your whole understanding is the only way i'm ever going to be able to work the only way i'm ever going to be able to provide for the people i've got to provide for is by doing a set kind of work. So by mining coal or working in a factory or working in an office somewhere, then you're not going to be looking for those other opportunities because you're going to think they're impossible. Through the process of arts and culture, through being a part of a storytelling project that's turning into a theater project where you're understanding stuff about your community that you didn't know, where you're understanding that there is this rich history of agriculture here that you might not have known about, through being on the radio or and talking with other people and listening to programs, you start building a different understanding of what's possible. And when you believe something could be possible, then you're going to go ahead and do it. And there is nothing that does that in the way that arts and culture does. And I think we need to revisit our definition of art. Art may not necessarily be confined to paintbrushes or ink or paint or canvas or guitars or any other instruments or voice. Maybe it contains spatulas. Mm -hmm. Maybe it contains mixers. Maybe it contains being able to communicate. Maybe the art of communication through uh, call centers, or maybe it's in the production of cakes and appetizers and all that. I think that those are all arts. The product you come out with and the process by which you come to that is the art and i think that we're taking what artists have known for years of the persistence and the retooling and the changing that has to happen to see that masterpiece happen i go back to carvers and stone workers to me it's a piece of granite to them there's a beauty inside that that's just wanting to be released and through their strokes with their chisels and their hammers they release that piece of beauty the same way with cooking you know i watch a lot of people cook and i'm like man i like to do that i just need to know how and that's what we're we're looking at, at Kane to do is to give people that that knowledge of how to produce that piece of art even though it's in food and returning to the culture that's alive and well in in these hills of food, of communicating. I was looking today at uh, upcoming events here, the shape note mm-hmm. classes that's very alive and well. That's an art. You can go anywhere and play some of the recordings that came from the Apple shop of people singing here in the hills of Easter mm-hmm. Kentucky. And it still amazes people all over the world. Yep. There's art all around us. It's just that We don't classify it as art, and I think we're going to have to change that classification. One last question, and then we'll tie this up 
One of the ways of resistance that I get to even opening up the conversation of economic diversification is political. It seems that it is divided into folks who are being labeled, folks who are trying the arts and culture stuff and the grant making stuff and the farming stuff and the uh, you may hear the word hippie la la stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> are liberal, and then the ones that are trying to bring coal back and industry, bigger industry back, and such as that are conservative. What I'm hearing here is it's going to take a community mm-hmm. to build us back up to where we can employ ourselves and find a meaningful work and an economy. But if we're divided all the time, in what we're doing, that's not gonna happen. So how can we drop the politics and realize we're all working for the same thing and that just because so-and-so wants to open a business downtown instead of focusing their energy on bringing the coal industry back, that doesn't mean that they're against you (laughs) or we're all working for the same thing. So how do we do that? How do we cross those political lines? I think that economy is economy it doesn't matter if it's blue economy or red economy economy is economy and if you have people that are producing a product or hiring people your example your husband has hired four people they get a paycheck every paycheck that's cut from your husband's business turns over in the electric county economy five times so it's not just that you're paying them x amount of dollars per week or x amount of dollars every two weeks that x becomes 5x in the overall economy of letcher county and if we can go to the powers that be and the old school economy of letcher county and say hey we're driving at the same thing you're driving at We're just driving at it in a new way, in a new fashion, but we're going to get the same kind of payoff that you're going to get. We're going to put the same X into the economy that will eventually be the 5X that will cause the restoration and the revitalization of the economy of Letcher County. And a lot of that involves a lot of stepping out of your comfort zone. And I've had to do a lot of that in the last year and a half. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people that I never thought that I would come to the table with, I'm now sitting at the table with. A lot of people that I never thought that I would see as a partner, I'm seeing as a partner now. Because in order for me to get what I need done, I found out I can't do it on my own. And it's not really matter what I'm going to get done for me you do realize that we're not working for us. The decisions we're making today is not for us. It's for our children and our grandchildren to determine what kind of Letcher County they will have tomorrow. Will they be fighting the same battles of no money, of deficits here in Letcher County, or can you and I come to a table with Apple Shop, with MACID, with Mountain Comp, with all these different organizations. And can we make decisions right now that cause our grandchildren not to have to worry about the problems that we're dealing with right now? But I have found that through this and through partnership, through true partnership, not lip service Mm -hmm. partnership, you can move major mountains. I'm appreciative of that catharsis that I've went through in the last year and a half. I really want to echo a lot of what you just said, Harry. I'll tell you one story that happened recently. One of our current Culture Hub partners was encouraging me to get in touch with a theater group in the county that was not yet involved in the Letcher County Culture Hub, and she said they'd be a real good fit. She put me in touch with one of the leaders in that group, and I was talking with him on the phone and he said, yeah, you know, I work for a coal company. And so I didn't know if Apple shop would want to work with us. And I told him, of course we do. If we're working on building an economy here together out of 
strengthening the agency voice and ownership of people here, of course we want to work together, and we have, and now they're members of the Culture Hub. But it's that kind of misunderstanding. I think we've all played a part in it one way or the other. Around the table at the Culture Hub, we've got probably pretty much every political ideology imaginable. And what we've been able to make by working out of a common commitment to an economy that we all can grow and own together is also a space where we can talk about some of this stuff. Where, for instance, somebody who is not on the same page, certainly, as me about, for instance, the issue of putting a prison in Letcher County, has said, you know, I support this because it's what we need to do, but I don't really like the idea of having an economy that's based on people's suffering. And I can say back to him, well, I really do not want a prison here, but if I needed to feed my family and getting a construction job on a prison was the way for me to do that job, I probably would support it too. And we find that we actually agree more than we disagree, but without a space to come together in a common project and trust, we can't express those agreements and we certainly can't work off of them. I think that trust is just key. I mean, the difference between cooperation and collaboration is trust. When you trust somebody, you're really willing to build something together with them, not just give it lip service or cooperate when asked. And what I see happening in Letcher County is that there is a lot of trust being built and that is just an awesome thing to see, and I think it bodes very well for the future of the county. I hope so. As a mother of three, I think we can all agree that when we're giving something back to the community, we are giving to our children. I just recently mentioned downtown revitalization, and an old school friend got angry because he felt that meant that I was against bringing coal back. And we kept talking and kept talking and there were some harsh words and it came to a head with he was having to leave the county to provide for his son and he didn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to leave to have to provide for my daughters. And so like Ben's example, it came down to the fact that we wanted the same thing for our children and just had different thoughts about how to get there. We were able to work that out and talk. So now, you know, possibly be open to new ideas. That's what community growth is all about, I think. You've been listening to Mountain Talk Monday, and I've been your host, Kelly Haywood, and we've been talking about economic diversification in Letcher County and Eastern Kentucky in general. I want to thank Betsy Whaley, the Vice President for Strategic Initiatives for MACID. Betsy, how would one get in touch with MACID if they wanted more information on the services you offer? You're welcome to look at our website. It's macid.org which has all of our contact information, or you can email me directly, Betsy, B-E-T-S-Y, at MACED, M-A-C-E-D, dot org. And thank you so much for joining us. And I want to thank Harry Collins, the chairman of Kane and Letcher County Culture Hub member. If someone wants to keep up with the mission of Kane and, and where you're at, how best could they do that? Very soon we will have a Raising Cane website that will be developed through the technical assistance of MACID and the Culture Hub and Apple Shop. We will have that advertised as many places as possible and we invite everyone and anyone to take a look at what's going on at Cane. Awesome. Thank you. And Ben Fink, Mm -hmm. the director of the Letcher County Culture Hub project here at Apple Shop. Thank you for sitting in with us. Anytime. Great to be here. And if somebody wants to look into the Letcher County Culture Hub and maybe even be in a member, how do they do that? I'd say best way is to get in touch with us here. Give us a call at the Apple Shop, 606-633-0108. Send me an email, benfink at appleshop.org. That's Apple spelled the funny way. Or drop on by. Love to talk with you. And I will have all of these links provided on the WMMT website under the Mountain Talk heading. So that's WMMT.org. 
I want to thank you all for listening. Remember, we're one community working towards many of the same goals. And this has been Mountain Talk Monday. Have a wonderful evening.